0: What we need in the United States is not division. What we need in the United States is not hatred. What we need in the United States is not violence and lawlessness, but is love and wisdom and compassion toward one another, feeling of justice toward those who still suffer within our country, whether they be white or whether they be black. Welcome to 10 Minutes on Democracy. That moment of democracy inspiration was Robert F. Kennedy calling for continued work on peace and justice just hours after Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination. I'm Jason Franklin, Senior Advisor at One for Democracy, and today is Tuesday, July 27th. Moving from 1968 to today, I'm keeping my eye on six issues this week. Three developments in the states as we look at special and primary elections coming up, the California governor's recall, and some new models about the impact of state voter suppression efforts, and three issues playing out at the federal level, infrastructure and voting rights acts that seem to be stalling out in Congress, the kind of latest developments around COVID vaccine mandates and the mass debates, and the abortion battle heating back up. First at the state level, We're looking for insights from primaries and special elections. It always happens in an off year. Both Democrats and Republican leaders look for signs of how different parts of their parties are faring. In New York City, Eric Adams, a more moderate candidate, won the New York City mayorship primary. And that has Democrats focusing in on his message around policing in particular. Although the city council is set to be among the most progressive in history, and it could signal some challenges once they get through the general elections in November and are sworn in and governing next year. Another data point for Democrats is emerging in Ohio, where progressive Nina Turner has gained the lead over Chantel Brown in polling for the special election primary next week in the 11th district, a very heavily Democratic district and what could be a sign of increasing progressive power and passion among Democratic base voters. Similarly, on the Republican side, leaders are keeping an eye on the Texas sixth congressional district happening today. Republican Susan Wright, the widow of late Republican Ron White, has Trump's endorsement. But Jake Elsey has outspent her and has the backing of other prominent Texans. This is being seen by some as an early test of the power of Trump's endorsement. That's going to continue to be a dynamic in upcoming elections all the way through the midterms. A second item rising to national attention is the recall effort against Governor Gavin Newsom in California. The election is in September. and mail ballots start going out in less than a month. Now We know California has been a bulwark against Trumpism, but if the recall succeeds, Newsom would likely be replaced by a Trump-style Republican because of the odd nature of the recall itself. It poses two questions, should Newsom be recalled, and if so, who should replace him? Whichever candidate gets the plurality of votes, no majority is needed, becomes the governor. So, Newsom supporters have to vote no to keep him in office, which is confusing. And Republicans are fired up about the recall, while Democrats have largely assumed the recall will fail given his recovering poll numbers. But off-cycle election, a small but fired conservative base, could flip one of the most progressive states. And if he loses this election, or even if he barely ekes by, it also emboldens those who feel like they can circumvent the normal election process, and we'll see many more recall attempts to come. We can remember and think back to when Governor Gray Davis lost his recall campaign in California. And this has people worried that it could be round two in California. Finally, I'm also looking at uh, the development of states, which is really more kind of a new focusing in on the same long running issue. Republican led efforts to pass tighter voting laws across the country, potentially disenfranchising millions of mostly low income voters and voters of color. New modeling has started to emerge in the last week about how these laws might impact the midterm elections, they're ringing the alarm bells. In Georgia, 270,000 people voted without an official state ID last cycle. And limiting drop boxes for absentee ballots just in the Atlanta suburbs alone could make it harder for several hundred thousand more people to vote. The margin in Georgia last year was just 12,000 votes. Similarly, in Michigan, 11,400 people voted without an ID last year, and a new effort to prohibit voting without an ID could disenfranchise all of them. That number is almost identical to the margin between Clinton and Trump in Michigan in 2016. Many commentators have noted over the past few months that most of these voter suppression laws would only have a quote, marginal impact. But what we're seeing with these models is when elections are won by marginal differences, that is all that's needed. Now that brings us to the federal side. These models of impact of state voter suppression bills have added fire to calls for the need to pass the For the People Act, but these efforts continue to face headwinds. Biden has now publicly said he does not want to eliminate the filibuster as he thinks it could quote, throw Congress into chaos. But progressives are pushing back, noting it's already a chaos of permanent inaction given the ever stronger partisan divides. Fighting over the January 6th Commission has further intensified these divides with only two Republicans not supported by the minority leader serving on the panel. And while every Democratic senator, including Manchin, remains deeply engaged in the debates about the negotiations around how to pass a voter protection law, prospects appear to be dimming unless a major breakthrough occurs. Similarly, Republican and Democratic negotiators missed another self-imposed deadline yesterday on the infrastructure bill. After a weekend of fruitless discussions and failed compromise offers, and Trump's call to Republicans to abandon negotiations until after the midterms. This is leading more and more people to look towards a major Democrat only reconciliation bill rather than hope for what might be the last best chance to get a major piece of bipartisan legislation through this Senate cycle. Long term culture wars also heating up and back at the top of our consciousness, especially abortion. The Supreme Court is hearing arguments on Mississippi's ban on most abortions after 15 weeks this fall, but in papers that were filed on Thursday, the Mississippi Attorney General is now arguing the court should just overturn Roe v. Wade in its entirety and let states decide whether to regulate abortion before a fetus can survive outside the womb. This as we know is the first big abortion rights test in the Supreme Court reshaped with three conservative justices nominated by Trump. The abortion debate is also raging among Catholics. Last week, New Mexico State Senator Joseph Cervantes, a Democrat, was denied communion by a bishop in Los Cruces for his vote to protect abortion access in the state. This follows on the U.S. Conference of Bishops voting by a 73% margin a few weeks ago to draft criteria in which Catholic politicians, including Biden and Pelosi, could be denied communion over the objections of Pope Francis. However, that effort hit at least a major road bump last week when Monsignor Jeffrey Burrell, the conference's top administrator, resigned after data showed he'd been active on the gay hookup app Grindr for several years. Final development at the federal level, our ongoing reckoning with COVID. On the 31st anniversary of the Americans with Disability Act, the Biden administration said that those who are experiencing long-haul COVID symptoms that substantially limit one or more major life activities can get disability protections, including protection from discrimination under federal disability law. But even as we grapple with these long-term effects, stemming the short-term spread remains political. Vaccine mandates and the restoration of indoor mask mandates are rising across the country. And while they've proven to be effective, they're also solidifying conservative opposition to the vaccine. The seven-day average of COVID cases is almost at 40,000 per day, and we're seeing over 35,000 cases per day of hospitalization. The vast majority of these, both hospitalizations and deaths are among unvaccinated, especially because of the Delta variant. For the second week in a row, one in five of all cases occurred in Florida alone. Now, some Republicans, even some very conservative Republicans, are now changing their tune, calling on people to get vaccinated, but they're facing opposition from their own right flank. And it's really anyone's guess to see how this will play out among a party that's been pulled so far to the right and away from facts and science. It's going to be a grappling both for the country, but also for Republicans themselves as COVID spread really focuses in on conservative and rural spaces around the country. Thanks for joining me to hear a quick review of the key issues this week, both at the state and the national level. I'm Jason Franklin. It's Tuesday, July 27th. And thanks for joining 10 Minutes on Democracy.